Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Welcome to our weekly Torah podcast. This podcast is dedicated in the memory of Herschel Ben David, Mr. Harold Pasternak, father of our good friend Michael Pasternak. This week's Torah portion, Parshas A, always falls out right around the beginning of the month of Elul. And as to be expected, although the rabbis, when they made the, when they, when they put the Parshas together, it wasn't always like it is today that we read once, one Parsha each week. Initially, it was a triennial cycle that it took, they would finish the Torah every three years. But nevertheless, when it, when it did metamorphosize, so to say, in the, in, the week, in, the, in the annual Torah cycle, it's fascinating how so many of the Parshas fit into that time of the year. And we do find that with the Parshas, upcoming Parshas, Re'ei Shov Tim say the Parshas are always read at the beginning of Rosh Chodesh Elul, or, the, or towards the beginning of the month of Elul, we always find interesting connections and, and similarities between the Parsha itself and this time of the year. I'd like to focus on one interesting insight that I had in the f- upcoming three Parshas, Re'eh, Shoftim, and Kiseitzeh. <coughs> in this week's Parsha, we have the section called the Mesis, the Mesis and the Mediach, a person that tries to seduce his friend to serve idolatry. Torah tells us that if a person tries to tries to come to you and secretly and say, let's go worship other types of gods, the idolatrous gods, gods that you didn't know, nor your forefathers, and you should be not be careful. Don't listen to what he has to say. Don't hearken to him. And your eyes should not take pity on him and shouldn't be compassionate, compassionate to him. Rather, when the court finds this out, they shall surely put this person to death. <coughs> now the rabbis tell us this sin over here that the person is transgressing is not so much the fact that he got somebody to serve idolatry, it's for the effort in trying to bring the person to serve idolatry. Even if he was not successful, the luck is that he still is put to death. And although it seems to be somewhat unfair, why should the person be put to death for something that he was not even successful in doing? The Torah ends off this section, V'chol Yisrael yishmu v'yiro'un. It says, all the Jewish people will hear and they will learn to fear and they will not do such a thing again in their midst. In other words, the purpose of this person being put to death is not so much punitive in nature as much as it is is in order to be able to prevent others, some are preventative, to serve as a deterrent from other people from behaving in this type of a manner. The Ramban tells us this terminology that we find over here, that the Yisrael, the Jewish people, will hear and they will fear, is found by four different halachas in the Torah. This is the first one, the halacha of the Mesis, the person that tries to get somebody else to serve idolatry. The next one is next week's Torah portion, next two of them actually, next week's portion, portion of Shoftim. One of the halachas is the halacha of the Zakin Mamre. The Zakin Mamre is a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, when, the, when a situation comes before the Sanhedrin, they follow the majority. <coughs> the majority rules. What happens if, it's in, if an instance when the majority ruled a certain way, and one of the court judges refuses to act, refuses to compromise, refuses to accept their ruling, and he says, "No, I believe that I'm right," and he's not willing to go along with the with the majority. There, too, the Torah tells us very stringently. It's a Torah how, how careful a, a person has to be. So the person that will act like this, will not listening to the people, to the leaders that are there, that person will die, and you should destroy the evil from your midst. And the entire nation shall listen and fear, and they will not act like this anymore. 
Because the idea over there is because since the importance of Judaism is only passed down, Torah is passed down through tradition. The written Torah comprises an important part of the Torah, but the oral law, which is determined many times by the Sanhedrin, by the court, is what ensures, ensures and guarantees the transmission of Torah from one generation to the next generation. And when one of the court members refuses to accept the ruling of, of the majority of the court, which Halacha Torah says follow the majority, so that in some ways that undermines the entire tradition, the entire transmission process is, 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 is loses its authenticity. And therefore this person is put to death too. Now it's interesting, again, this person didn't really accomplish anything. Because since the halacha follows the majority anyway, even if the individual judge refuses to accept their authority, accept their ruling, the fact that matters, the halacha still remains like that. And anybody that listens will still follow the majority. Nevertheless, because his actions give the appearance of trying to undermine the entire system, the person's put to death despite the fact they didn't even deserve it really. The third case in next week's Torah portion, also regarding the laws of testimony, the din of Adam Zomimin. The luck of Adam Zomimin, Adam Zomimin are conspiring witnesses. These are witnesses that testified about something. Let's say two witnesses testify that A stole something from B. Or for that matter, A murdered B. A second set of witnesses comes in and says, and says, listen, we don't know about A and B, but one thing we do know, you say you saw A murder B last Sunday, that's over here in, in Cleveland, that's impossible because you were with us in California that day. So you couldn't have seen anything like that. So Torah tells us it's not just a matter of two witnesses that are in conflict. Over here, the second set of witnesses has is, is believed to undermine the, the, the entire the, the authenticity of the first two witnesses. And the law is, the first witnesses are punished. Whatever, whatever punishment they tried to accomplish, they themselves will be visited upon that punishment. So if they tried to, if they said that A murdered B and therefore A is liable for death penalty, the two witnesses themselves will be put to death. If they said that A stole something, $100 from B, and they're trying to make A pay the $100, they themselves have to pay the $100 to A, etc. Now, interesting, Allah tells us over here, though, Talmud says the din of Adam Zomimin is only if they conspired to accomplish something in court, not if they were successful. That means if, let's say, two witnesses testified that A murdered B, and the court accepts their testimony, cross-examines them, and accepts their testimony, and then the court puts A to death. In that situation, Allah is that the witnesses will not be put to death. Only if, let's say, the court accepted their testimony, and it's going to be putting A to death, but then a second set of witnesses comes in and, and attacks the, the, the authenticity of the first two witnesses by saying they weren't even there at the time. In that situation, the first two witnesses are put to death. It's like the more, like Rashi says, the punishment is for what they tried to accomplish, but not what they actually accomplished. Now, again, logically, this doesn't seem to make any sense necessarily. Talmud, the commentaries, the morale, offer different explanations for that, but that's not the topic we're talking about today. But what interest we what we do find interesting is that again, these witnesses are put to death for something that they did not even accomplish. They tried to do something, but they weren't successful, and they're still put to de- they're still put to death. And here too, the Torah tells us that same idea. Vanishorim Yishmu Viro. Those who remain will listen and fear, and they will not do such a thing again in their midst. They will move the evil from their midst. In other words, again, it serves as a deterrent from 
from this repeat behavior, but not that it's punishment for what was actually done. The fourth case is in two Torah portion, Parshish Kisetse, the Torah talks about the Ben Sora Amora, the wayward son. The wayward son is a very interesting situation. The Talmud says it's so complicated and so many, so many prerequisites necessary that it never happened. It's almost impossible for it to happen, as a matter of fact. But there's a situation about a child, a boy between 13 and 13 and a half years old, that consumes an inordinate amount of meat and drinks fancy wines also, for that matter, can't afford to feed his habit, and eventually steals from his parents. The parents warn him that he that they should not they can't go there. They he's not allowed to steal. And he continues, doesn't listen to the parents, ignores them, and continues on. So Torah says in that situation, this boy is put to death. Again, not going into details right now, it seems kind of very harsh punishment for something which doesn't seem to be that difficult. But the Talmud explains, the rabbis explained what Torah is telling us is that in this situation, this child in this age at this age in this age bracket, and with these types of sins and the ignoring the, the Torah and ignoring his parents, etc., it's inevitable that he's going to end up being a murderer later on in life. And therefore, let him die innocent before he actually commits the crime and is going to die as a, as a wicked person, as the person that actually was guilty. So there too, the Torah says the parents bring him to the court, the court puts him to death, and the Bible says, V'chol Yisrael, Yishmu Biro, the entire Jewish nation will see, will hear, and they will fear. They will learn from this also how they should not behave. So Amban says these four instances, we find the Torah says that a person is punished for something that he didn't really do. He's not punished for the crime itself because in, in these four instances he didn't really accomplish the crime. The witnesses, the court, the court, the 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 person, the elder. Of the, of the court that refuses to accept the ruling of the majority, the person that tries to seduce somebody to serve idolatry, and the wayward son, who is punished for consuming a lot of meat and wine and stealing from his parents. He's not punished for the crime because the crime itself is certainly not a capital offense. But he's punished because of what he end up doing later on in the future. So again, the Ramban says these four instances are situations where a person is punished for something that he intended to do even if it's not successful. Now, we find an interesting principle, the commentaries tell us, I once heard this from Rav Pam, late Rosh Hashiv of Masif, the Torah of Adas in New York. He said, we find the Talmud tells us that Hashem, God is much more generous in regard to reward than he is to punishment. The Torah tells us regarding sin, that God remembers sin for four generations. Whereas by mitzvahs it says, Hashem remembers the mitzvah for 2,000 generations. We see from here the Talmud says that God is 500 times more generous with the reward for good deeds than he is with punishment for bad deeds. Because the punishment is only remembered four generations. Whereas the good deeds are remembered for 2,000 generations, which is 500 times as much. That's the Talmud says. So if Pam said, he said regarding specifically regarding the law of the person tries to seduce somebody. We see if a person that tries to convince somebody to sin is punished so severely, could you imagine, even though it's not successful, could you imagine the great reward for somebody who tries to influence somebody positively, even if he's not successful? Imagine how much reward is awaiting that individual. If we see a person is put to death for trying to get somebody to sin, can you imagine the life that's given to a person 
eternal, everlasting life that's given to a person as reward for trying to influence somebody, even if a person is unsuccessful. Taking that same idea a little bit further, we can see a beautiful insight over here insofar as this time of the year is concerned. Elul is the month of preparation for Rosh Hashanah and for Yom Kippur. The idea of tshuva, the emphasis and the focus in this season is tshuva, repentance. Repentance does not come easily for anybody. A person gets into the habit of sinning, whatever the sin might be. It might be a more severe sin. It might be a less severe sin. But once it becomes habitual, it's very difficult to break a habit. We all know that. We all have our, our, our faults, our flaws, and it's difficult. It's a person that may, whatever a person, if it's a matter of getting angry, if it's a matter of speaking Lashon Hara, speaking gossip about other people, if it's a matter of not being concentrating properly during our prayers, whatever it might be, it's very, very difficult to be able to bring about change. We have to work so hard. It was so Islam used to say, it's more difficult to break one negative character trait than it is to master the entire Talmud, which is a lifelong pursuit. And Rabbi Gifter used to say, the Rashiva tells Yeshiva, Saul Slanter said that because he understood, he, he, was, he mastered both of them. He mastered the study of the Talmud and he mastered breaking negative characteristics. And he said it's easier to complete and master the entire Talmud than to wait, break one negative character trait. And for that reason, tshuva comes difficult for us. To repent, to be able to recognize and to be able to, to, to resolve, to change our behavior. And sometimes, you know, we're motivated and we'll get off to a good start. But very quickly, unfortunately, we seem to forget the resolution and ultimately we fall back again too. Again, that's human nature. I have oftentimes noted, I've seen this before, that for most health clubs, the busiest month is always January. The reason being because Everybody makes New Year resolutions during the month of January. And high in most people's list is they really have to exercise more. And therefore, what better way than to join a health club? So they'll pay, they'll pay the monthly fee for the health club, and so they'll try to go every single day. And for the first two weeks, they probably will go every single day. And then something happens, and something else crops up, and something a little difficult, and they have a problem in, in a problem in scheduling. And then all of a sudden, they miss a day, they miss another day, they miss another day, and a month later, they come half the time, and by a couple months after January, they're back to the same way they were before January. That's human nature, unfortunately. Because of that, though, a person might, be, might lose the motivation to be able to, to emphasize tshuva, why bother? I know what it's all about anyway. I've tried before. I've tried every single year, for that matter. And nothing ever had, nothing sticks. I try, it works for a little bit, and then nothing, and then, and then I forget about it. And I'm back to the same place I was last year before Rosh Hashanah all over again. Why bother trying? The parshus that we read during the month of Elul, teaches a very important principle. These four individuals are put to death for trying to do something bad, even though they were not successful. And as Apam mentioned, if that's the case regarding sin, how much more so regarding good deeds. When a person tries to do something good, even if he's not successful, a person makes an effort trying to do tshuva, trying to repair some kind of a flaw that he has, trying to overcome a negative characteristic or the Yetzirah, the evil inclination regarding doing certain types of sins. And he may not even be successful. We see the effort, how much Hashem pays us for the effort. 
if Hashem punishes a person so severely for trying to commit certain types of sins, how much greater is the reward for a person that tries to fulfill a mitzvah, tries to do tshuva, which seems to be such a difficult mitzvah to a person, for a person to do. The mere effort itself also carries a lot of credit to it. And I think that's a tremendous sense of inspiration and encouragement for us during these days as we come into the month of Elul. Month Elul begins this coming Sunday, God willing. It's important for us to realize, don't give up. A Jew never gives up. Yehosh, despair, and giving up hope is not a Jewish concept whatsoever. A person has to always recognize, I'll make an effort, I'll try. Maybe this time I'll be successful. And if I'm not, the Almighty knows it's in my heart that I really make an effort, I'm trying. I really do try. And the reward for trying is can't be, can't be overestimated. And as we come into Rosh Hashanah, the day of judgment, the Almighty takes everything into consideration, even our good intentions also, as long as we're sincere about it, as long as we make a considered effort, even if we're not successfully ultimately, even if we're not totally successful. But He takes that into consideration also. And ultimately, the judgment itself, God willing, will be a good judgment. The traditional greeting as we enter into the month of Elul is Siva Fachasima Tova, that we should be written and we should be sealed positively. It's two steps being written and then being sealed. Because certainly being written is one step, you know, because that's the way a person might be deserved. But to be able to keep that step also, even if we're not there totally, after that we ask when we wish each other the chasima, the sealing should be good too. As long as we make an effort, hopefully God should accept our efforts too, and we should all be judged favorably. Have a great week, everybody, and hopefully we'll be together again next week. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.